welcome to Voices from the Grassroots. This is your host, Clay Haran, coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina. This episode, I'm sitting down with my friend Alexander Schwarzkopf. Alex is a pianist, composer, and teacher based out of Eugene, Oregon. In 2017, Alex was awarded the OMTA Composer of the Year Award for his piece titled PSI. You will hear Alex's piece, PSI, threaded throughout today's episode. So I've known Alex for about four years now, and he's always inspired me with his passion for life and music. And in this episode, we talk about a variety of interesting subjects, all centering around the power of music and its relationship to the human spirit and to social movements. All right, how you doing, Alex? Thanks for uh, being on the show. Thank you very much, Clay. So, Alex, I've often heard you talking about the relationship between visual arts and music. Will you talk a little bit about what interests you about that crossover? I utilize visual artwork to generate ideas, and I pursue, I have a philosophy that deals with translating contours in musical lines into physical movements in piano. And it's very easy to capture a concept with a single line on a piece of paper. And I chose to develop that further. And while doing my dissertation, I chose to avoid using traditional theoretical techniques to explain the particular music I was working on and began developing diagrams and and basic smaller line drawings to explain my ideas. I just utilize it as a, as a cross influence. So one helps to explain the other. And I found in lecture that it's absolutely brilliant because I can detail textures and concepts of harmony and, and piano technique with a visual art piece. And an audience will have a specific light bulb maybe pop on for them and I can see the recognition grow and it's fascinating that way so I I find visual artwork to be very influential in my work and Alex you I recently saw you play in a concert a series called climate keys will you explain to the listeners what climate keys is and what motivated you to be a part of that experience in that show so climate keys was innovated and begun by a pianist and composer named Lola Perrin in London. I chose to become involved because I think that it is a platform for me to express my deep passion and love for our environment and the protecting thereof. So I began an involvement on that level and I organized several concerts that were to be presented in the first, the inaugural series of concerts for Climate Keys. Climate Keys is... It, it's, it's formed around the concept that musicians and scientists share the stage. The musician prepares a half an hour long concert, and then there's a 15 or so minute long lecture from a specialist in the field. It can be, as I've been told, anything from an environmentalist, an ecologist, a lawyer, uh, an economist, and so on and so forth one who specializes with the 
effects of climate change and the, the environment. And then there is a discussion period with the audience. And so the critical thing that is the central part of the vision is bringing this discussion, expanding this discussion with new audiences. The piece I composed for both of the concerts that I gave in Oregon and New Mexico focused on water process and forms of water. And I used that as a starting point for my composition of sounds and textures. And I found it absolutely fascinating to see how that engaged these concepts and ideas. So those are the ideas that I worked with for the climate, climate keys concept. Yeah, what I thought was really fascinating about the Climate Keys event was the the format I thought was really amazing, the blending of science and art. Because yeah. I think passionate leaders that create change often have a mix of intelligence, knowledge of the facts, but also a motivation, a spiritual motivation led by an understanding of beauty and, and art. Yeah, uh, And I think both of those things together, knowledge and passion for beauty, is what guides uh, the revolutionary spirit, right. I, guess you, I guess you could put it. What role or why do you think music has such a strong connection to the desire for change, for social change, or for justice? Why do we hear some of the most inspiring musicians kind of channel that that feeling of wanting change or wanting justice i feel that music is like in some ways in this argument the last frontier but in some ways it's always been the kind of platform because when we want change we chant you know when we want a baby to stop crying or to calm a baby we sing we chant we try with our voice to to calm and so we're moving energy and we're moving energy through this through our vocal cords and so through sound and through song we tap this other level of of energy and spirit i really believe that and i've always thought that music is such a strong form of communication and for me it has always been a profound means to reach my audiences i wasn't the one who went first to stand at a podium and speak to my audiences i would rather take an instrument and say it that way with a beethoven sonata when i was young or now with my own work and i think that with music you have control of energy and intensity and expression on a different level because you feel it and experience it. Harry Belafonte once said that, quote, when the music's strong, the movement's strong. Do you think that's true? And if so, do you think that the, the music is strong right now? Or what do you think of the, of the state of music in, I guess, a lot of different on all fronts, in the classical realm and the whatever whatever realm you like to listen to. Yeah, I think right now we're in a very very strong time, and I don't think that we've seen a time quite like it. Um, I think we've been existing in a renaissance, an artistic renaissance, for quite some time now, at least the past twenty years. But the 
variety and the amount of music ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's a little bit more, sometimes it's more diverse, sometimes it's a little bit less diverse. But anyway, you slice it, there are numerous artists in every single discipline within the arts and within music particularly that are exploring these avenues of expression to release these ideas that are held within. And and I think it just, I don't know if it's ever been stronger, but we have music that is music for protest. We have music for the environment. We have operas being written in honor of John Muir and, you know, the Redwoods uh, to protect these giant trees. I can say that I, I think that it's stronger now than it's ever been, but at the same time, that brings with it and breeds resistance of some kind too. And I don't think that that's weakened it. I think that it's strengthened it. And recently, I received a commission in my desire to explore in my years as a composer, I always had a desire to comp to compose a concerto of sorts. And so I decided to compose a concerto for piano and and orchestra. I cast it as a piano with as piano with um, six instruments. But the point behind this piece was like a philosophical discussion and debate against current administration's perspectives on such things as truth and the the rationale behind how and what we're doing with this concept. I mean, we're regressing in some sense, or, or they're trying to help us to think that we can do that. But in that sense, I think that we're just becoming stronger and moving ahead. And so, I, I created a piece that had within it just incredibly strong rhythmic impulses and like mantra levels of rhythmic impulse that it was a pretty significant experience upon the premiere. So, so you see it like a revolution and counter revolution kind of thing. I, like always, I think it's always been when you look at the the sixties and the seventies, and specifically the times of of, of revolution within uh, past generations. We see this. I mean, you can look at Shostakovich's music and see this. Every generation has its challenges about how we can actually do that, how we can level our argument. But every generation does it. And I think that that's the powerful thing about music. And now with technology, we have access to putting our music out there immediately. And I think it's incredible how present it can be and of course that brings with it positives and negatives but at the same time that is a reality of our current time talk about the piece you played the other night by Shostakovich and I guess why you chose to play that piece and what that piece 
means to you personally and maybe give some history, give some of the history that you spoke that night? Well, it's interesting to think about that piece because Shostakovich was born um, 1906 and lived till 75. And he existed during a great time of resistance. And the thing that we're working with there in that particular piece is the year 1934 when that piece came about was right around the time when he wrote his opera Lady Macbeth of Metinkst Metinkst district and um, these are these are works the cello sonata and that opera that became labeled as decadent due to how he was evolving as a composer, his expression and some of the things that they found impure. And when looking at music history, you see that several times throughout history. I am fascinated by this piece because of its simplicity and classical proportions, but at the same time, incredible power and expression. Just within very, very limited means, he was able to create such a like a hysterical style of music that I find hysterical. I mean, some people might not find it that, but I definitely hear that and it reaches me that way. So those, those things are, are his rebellion for sure. And at that time, you know, they're on the brink of beginning interrogation of him, thinking that he has ideas in his music and messages that, are against the government and you know it, it was hard for him and so they needed him they tried and tried very hard to force him to write music only for the state and i think it's fascinating to see how he well basically evaded being killed for expressing himself the way he did and still expressed himself. I think that it's just fascinating to see. And that's one of the things about music that it's it's tricky when you're being scrutinized on that level. So So the state thought that he had subliminal messages in the music, but the music doesn't have any words. How how right. how do you explain that how do you explain that? that well there's like there's a there's organizations of pitches that that become prominent in his music later on. For instance, the DSCH motive. DSCH, and that motive becomes a very infectious motto inside of his music, like a moniker or something. And it is, it doesn't, you know, if you hear that and perhaps you don't understand anything about music, or you want to think somebody is saying something subliminally, I guess that if you hear it several times, you're going to start to think maybe that means something that you just don't get. And I think my takeaway is that that's what they were, that's what they were implying, is that the, the motives were speaking something to the people that they got about the government, about their leaders, that, that their leaders weren't understanding and your your cellist when he was talking about this the story of of Shostakovich and that piece that you played what was it what was it called again the sonata in d minor the sonata in d minor he said that the the crowd stood and clapped 
for 40 minutes. Yeah, he was, was talking about the Fifth the... Symphony. He was talking oh, about the okay. premiere of the Fifth Symphony, which comes shortly after that, but still right around in that same time period and is kind of like a climax for a lot of those sounds in that time. There's there's kind of periods within a composer's life, and that is sort of a high point of Shostakovich's early to middle period, perhaps, is one way you could look at that. So so have you ever seen a crowd stand and clap for 40 minutes straight? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. Not unless they're chanting. And then that would perhaps be at a rock concert. Hmm. However, that's another form or they're in rebellion or they're chanting at somebody in protest marches or something of that sort. I've seen it and I think that especially in our current time we've seen some things that are pretty incredible in terms of great very famous artists and musicians mounting big performances in rebellion and in against the current times and I think that it's beautiful when that happens whether or not I agree with it or don't agree with it that's not the point the point is that people take to the street and say something and I think that that's our that's a very important thing to do and that's the only way that we can make change and make our voices heard but when great artists like you too and Bono and these kinds of artists with that incredible of a following I mean when they step up on the stage and they unite people on that level <laughs> that's that's where you start to see real effect take hold you know the effects of their words is a little different than some of us that are playing these fringe intense works to smaller audiences and I think that it's very incredible when those great figures such as those more influential um, figures use their influence that way. I think it's incredible. For the world, for the earth, in favor of the youth, in favor of our future, not about or against government. It's about us and life and moving forward and developing and positive vibes and positive directions. Have you played other pieces by musicians that were had like had the state as their their patron or were kind of working for the state and do you think that musicians throughout history that have worked for the state do you think that it corrupted the music at all that's all very it's those are sticky topics but i think that when you look closely at it you can see that there it's more so during those turn of the century years than than now per se but um, like, for instance, Wagner's music was adopted as some sort of a, you know, music for, you know, the Nazi party associated with the Nazi party for a while. And that's dangerous. But you can read about these things in his own words, in his essays on music and drama and it is neither here nor there, and I wouldn't get into too deep of a discussion about that, but that's the point is that in time, 
people take things that they like and, and adopt them and twist them sometimes to fit their motivations. And, and I think it's sad when that kind of thing happens because I think music stands independent of all of that. But there is a way that, that it's relevant. It's really relevant. So, Would you say that pop music is the music of the state in some ways? Um, or hold on, let me, let me revise <laughs> that question. Why, what is it? So there's a few different chords that you'll find in most pop songs. Yeah. Using, what is it about those chords? I don't know what they're called. Does but it just, it, was it, what is it about a certain chord that makes it so popular it makes it capable of being used in so many different songs that make millions of dollars and have millions of people listening to them. Well, those are just, those are very simple chords. They relate very closely to a key. For instance, the one chord, which is the root, the four chord, which is the sub subdominant, the five chord, which is the dominant. Those the four chord leads to the five chord and the five chord leads back to the one chord. So you have this relationship of these kinds of three key groupings that exists in a lot of music because that's, it's simple. And I think simple things make great impressions. relationship of music to religion why do you think there's such a deep connection between what music does and what religion does like you concerts kind of appear like a place of worship in some way and music is a glue that brings people together like religion does so what do you think is the what's there what's similar about music and religion i think that if you look into history first of all that's a very sticky topic but if you look into history you'll see that there's a point where it was all more or less sacred and then there was a point where it became more and more secularized and at that point maybe something like the florentine camarada happened because it became too secularized and they were taking too many liberties and so they wanted to limit the improvisation on ideas the tropes but basically there's a pursuit and a movement towards towards secularization meaning moving away from its relationship to the church or its its dominance by the church the dominance of the church. And so if if you come into the idea of a performance and how it unifies people such as religion does, I would say very loosely that um, it's like you're unifying people to 
come you're unifying people based on a common cause and a common motivation to invest and investigate and celebrate something that everyone there at that particular moment sees in the same way you know the the classical world is sticky in that way because you end up with society becoming so entrenched about certain things and ideals that when composers such as Stravinsky, when he premiered, when the Rite of Spring was premiered, there were riots because the subject matter. There were riots on several occasions at some of the premieres of these great work. But they still came together to hear the premiere of this great work because they were convinced that it was going to communicate something, maybe take them somewhere, maybe release them. And somehow they were forced to experience something that was against their religious beliefs or their their beliefs about how things should be. And therefore, and this is what literature has done <laughs> since time, you know, and same with music. So how 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 that happens that that's the nature of art is art is usually always has always proven to be ahead of society and that's just a reality that we have to contend with um i'm not saying i'm any kind of great shakes as a composer but i had many of the same kinds of reactions much mild much more mild mannered but reactions and responses from people that were dark and very questioning of me and my motivations after the premiere of my work PSI last summer because of how it made them feel. It made them uncomfortable. And I intentionally worked with cells of tones, rotational systems of sounds and and ostinato figures that were both the primary melodic material, well, the, it's arguably not melodic at that point. It's primary rhythmic and harmonic material that can be perceived melodically if abstracted in a certain way, but not intentionally melodic, and at the same time just repetitive. And as some of the greatest thinkers and composers and writers have said, has stated in the past, namely Schoenberg, as one example, that repetition is the strongest tool that we have in stating something new. So if one wants to make a statement and one wants to make themselves heard, one must repeat the statement. One must repeat the statement. And then there's an argument that that is how rhetoric forms. How do you say what you're saying How do you bring meaning, apply meaning to something that's said, no matter how the people have come together and why they came together, but how do you change or evolve meaning? And that's through repetition. So repeatedly drawing crowds is also working on the notion that people are curious, working on people's curiosities, that they even though they might not have had the desirable experience, they still are going to come back and check it out again if there's this new experience available. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's definitely one way to look at it. But it's a ceremony. As the MC gathers the people, 
so do the musicians command the ears. And that's, that's what we do. And if you have something to say or not is the question. And like Miles Davis said, you shouldn't need 50 choruses to say it. You should be able to do it in one or two. And if you can, then you've got composers like Debussy to thank and Miles Davis and some of these great figures that utilize such abstraction in rhythm and melody and harmony and yet made such important and poignant statements. I love the thing about the, the repetition. Think that I think that that's something that a good philosopher does is repeatedly hit the limits of their own thought. This is how new yeah. things happen and or how we really gain ground is by repeating getting to this place where we're, we've, we've reached the limit yeah. or the, an impasse. Well, that's the nature of my piece, PSI, too, is that in the opening statement, there is a, a melody that represents more of a circular, evolving, ostinato figure than anything remotely close to a melody. It's like chant. It's like monotone chant. There's pitches, but the pitches are only vocal and they come back to the same point and they rotate around the same pitches and they continue on and then accumulation occurs with other instruments chiming into the conversation new things happen and new directions are found but that same rhythm is the very core of the entire piece and that i think is the strength behind the greater works that I personally admire. And certainly one thing that you can find behind, I'd say, all of the great works of, of most composers. Abstraction is only abstraction if it's relating to something, because otherwise it could just go anywhere and be anything. We have to have some restraints and restrictions. So in a time of crisis, you have trauma, you have crisis to reflect on. You don't really have a lot of options. And in some ways, that's going to produce some of the most interesting changes. And that's one of the hardest things to tolerate, I think, about what the role of crisis and trauma is in our world. And having experienced some extreme traumas throughout my life, I know that if you're going to let it stop you, it certainly can. But if it helps you to see a better day, then, you know, it's a, it's a place where you can be, begin again. And like the greatest thinker said, you know, the failure, the, the hopeless, the trauma, the crisis, the war only serves to point us into directions that, that there's a better day. There's, a, there's change ahead. And, and we, have to be, we have to be positive and 
optimistic in our thinking that we can reach that and never lose that. So the rhythm has to be solid and you have to stand by your, your ideas. And that's also how negative rhetorics are established as well. So it's... What do you mean? Negative rhetorics? What do you mean? Negative rhetoric, like rhetoric that's against progress, that's against change, okay. that's against positive outcomes, which is all over. It's just as prevalent as the positive in some ways, and especially right now. And that's one of the reasons why something like Climate Keys came about. And that's one of the reasons why Climate Keys is being sought out and uh, sought after movement by some very important scientists worldwide and artists worldwide and why we are being heard. The message is reaching more and more audiences now because it's a movement that embraces both disciplines. It doesn't pit disciplines against each other. And we have to come together in order to make change. In order to make positive impacts, we have to show how we work together. If somebody wants to check out some of your music, where where do they go to do so? Do you have any links to your stuff online? Or? You can check out my YouTube channel at alexanderj.schwarzkopf and otherwise on my website, www.ajsmusic.org. Very cool. Well, thanks for being on the show, Alex. Thank you very much, Clay. It's a pleasure. And that does it for this episode of Voices from the Grassroots. And again, the music you heard throughout this episode was snippets of the three movements of Alex's piece titled PSI. This is Clay with Voices from the Grassroots signing out. Until next time. Mm -hmm.